Wellness Force Radio, episode 36. Is just trying to learn what compounds I respond to that are going to sort of lean my brain in a certain direction. And then if I know what I want to accomplish during the course of a day, I can sort of pick the right compound from my medicine cabinet to make me better at that particular behavior. Wellness Force Radio, welcome back for another episode here on the podcast. If you're new to Wellness Force, this show is where I track down the most inspiring and passionate experts in behavior change and wellness technology. These are the thought leaders. They dedicate their lives to empowering us with the knowledge and tools that drive real transformation in our physical and emotional wellness. Today's show is proudly brought to you by wellnessforce.com, where at wellnessforce.com for the month of January, we're taking applications for our brand new 120-day wellness program starting on February 15th. If you're interested in some of the guests that we've had on the show, around wellness technology, applications, fitness tracking devices, and all the other things that encompass how to quantify your health and fitness to sustain your behavior change. This might be a good fit for you. Discover more at wellnessforce.com slash 120. Now let's talk about the man, the myth, the legend, Jesse Lawler, coming on Wellness Force Radio as a top iTunes host with his popular show, Smart Drug Smarts. Today's show is number three of your six-part series for the first two weeks of January entitled Wellness in the New Year. And as promised, today's show delivers education and tools around neuroscience and how to effectively supplement nootropics and cognitive enhancers to meet the demands of our hectic, busy schedules. Enjoy this episode with Jesse and stick around to the very end for a bonus clip of Jesse and I talking about holotropic breathing and his guest, Dr. Ironman, on Smart Drug Smarts in 2015, where I openly share what I saw and went through with my holotropic breathing experience as well. So without further waiting, let's bring on Jesse Lawler. Jesse, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. This is going to be so fun. I talked to you a little bit before we started the recording that I was dorking out on this amazing branch of nootropics and brain health and cognitive function that essentially I feel like is the part of wellness that's growing the fastest right now. And I'm curious just to start off the show, man, if you'd be willing to share something fun and exciting Something that people might not know about you. I know you're on the air a lot and people know you as the personality of Smart Drug Smarts podcast, but what is Jesse? What's something fun about Jesse people might not know? Probably the most, the strangest thing about me and um, cognitive enhancement is that I didn't even start drinking coffee until I was probably about, I'd, I'd say like 30, 31 years old. I was, I was a complete teetotaler, like no, no carbonated beverage. Uh, you know, it wasn't like I was avoiding coffee. I probably had it once or twice, but like, I didn't get into any of this stuff until fairly recently. But then, uh, once I did get interested in it, I, I, I dove all the way down the rabbit hole. And do you feel like there's been a certain section of your life that led you into nootropics and all the different things that we're going to talk about today? This is an exciting part of wellness, but what actually sparked your interest in the beginning? I mean, what was that like for you learning about this? What time in your life did you learn about nootropics and brain health? Probably what led me back into it. So I I was a software engineering major in college and in most of my life professionally, I have been a software developer in one way, shape or form. And, you know, there's a big crossover, I think, between the software development community and people that are interested in cognitive optimization and brain health and things like that for the obvious reason that, you know, we're the people that are sitting staring at our computers for nine hours a stretch. And that's a good thing. Hmm. Um, You know, there's a a lot of um, 
a lot of health consequences for staring at your computer for that long. And, um, you know, that's probably something that you've talked about on a lot of episodes of your show. But one thing that we really do need in, in our line of work is to be able to have these long periods of intense focus and concentration, sort of put the mental blinders on, shut the world out and, and hold all these ideas and, and interrelationships in your head. And so finding out that there were actually some compounds out there that could make these things easier was great. It's like I, I was aware of, you know, like alcohol and all the, all the drugs that people know about that tend to decrement your cognitive performance. But when the, the light bulb kind of went on for me, you know, close to 10 years ago, that there were actually compounds that could turn things the other direction, that could bring you above your baseline, at least temporarily, that got me really interested. It's cool. On your site, you mentioned the core idea, being fascinated with the idea of self, of having a self at all in the philosophical sense is nothing to be ashamed of. It's something to revel in. What did you mean by that? You know, it's crazy not to be sort of, um, you know, self-obsessed in a sense, because, you know, we do only go around once. We have, uh, you know, the, the whole, you know, freedom of, of choice, free, free will idea, I think is both philosophically interesting and, um, I just I don't like seeing people that are are wasting you know the, the precious time that we do have here not trying to dial up their own experience as much as possible and, and oftentimes you know dialing up your experience in the world means dialing up your own you know physical and mental self so you can take most advantage of what the world has to offer at the risk of sounding like you know rah 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 me 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 um I just think that everybody has such advantage to be gained by really trying to optimize their own person. When we look at optimizing ourselves, I know that you have had some guests on your show that are pretty heavy involved in the quantified self movement. I was at QS15 this year. You, you interviewed the community leader, Ernesto Ramirez, correct? Yeah, yeah. I was there too. I, I, wish, I, I wish we'd known one another at the time. We could have hung out. Oh, Jesse, 2016, man. We're going to meet up face to face. We'll do it. Now, when I look at quantified self, I think I started doing this early in my career as a trainer in gyms. I was tracking repetitions and heart rate and heart rate variability and things like this. But when we section over to nootropics, I think the quantified aspect of nootropics is interesting. And I don't know if it's always quantifiable because the report card of RPE or rate of perceived exertion is unique to each individual. So when we look at the definition of nootropics, I'm curious what you define nootropics as. That's a great question. So um, let's look at that term for a moment. And, and I, I should be pulling up the Wikipedia page. I won't. But the actual term nootropics was coined by a guy in the mid-1960s who invented what was sort of considered like the great granddaddy of all nootropics called paracetam. And he defined sort of nootropics as a theoretical term to define a compound that has cognitively beneficial effects that you can't get addicted to, that has no real negative effects to speak of, that you don't build up a tolerance to. And, and I think there's one other thing. There were like five cornerstones of this, this you know, theoretical thing that a nootropic would be defined as. And it's, it's a pretty tough bill for any you know, chemical to pass. I mean, that something keeps working, it makes you work better, it, you don't build up a tolerance, all, all these things. I mean, that, that's a lot. Nowadays, when people turn, throw around the term nootropics, oftentimes they are not actually using that official according to Hoyle definition. They're quite a bit more lax with it. And the, the term that I would prefer that people use, I think, to be a little bit more accurate is cognitive enhancer, where then you get into things like, um, you know, caffeine, for example, is, is a well-known cognitive enhancer. Of course, you can build up a tolerance to it, and some people do have negative physiological consequences from caffeine, although caffeine doesn't really have too much terrible stuff it can do to you. But um, yeah, so nootropics, as, as a term, when people are reading about it online, just they should recognize that 
most people that are using it are being a little bit more lax in their definition. When I talk about nootropics, I sort of try to hold myself to the following definition. I say it's something that's going to bring you above your normal cognitive baseline and that as you come back down to your baseline, you're not going to dip below the baseline. You're not going to uh, really need like a period where, oh my gosh, I've lost all my neurotransmitters. I need to bounce back for a while before I get back to feeling normal again, that it's kind of a smooth landing from, um, you know, whatever uptick you get. Do you feel like in your life, there's been a single event that has made you so passionate about these cognitive enhancers, or do you just have something that you do you kind of dork out like me? I mean, is it something that you get excited about? Why is it so important to you, this field of cognitive enhancers? I think one thing, like I've always been a very even keeled personality. I don't have like these giant emotional highs and emotional lows and stuff like that, that I know some people do. And I, I, I think knowing that I could make, um, make sort of tweaks to my own, own mental state and take myself off my baseline was, it was just kind of interesting to me because that that's not the kind of thing that normally happens to me just day to day walking through the world. I do tend to be a fairly balanced person. And so knowing that, um, you know, there are these little switches that I could flip was, was something that, it, you know, it intrigued my curiosity. I'm kind of jealous of you because I am that person that has the highs and the lows. I'm like a roller coaster. Same thing with my girlfriend. My brother is like you. And I'm curious if you think that nootropics work differently for people like myself compared to people that are more even keel. Who are nootropics for? Like, what is the general avatar for nootropics or do they apply to everyone? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because there are things about nootropics that I, I think definitely sh and should apply to everybody. Like we've all got brains. One of the things that, you know, a lot of nootropic compounds do in addition possibly to, um, you know, short-term cognitive effects that you might notice is that they tend to be neuroprotective. Um, like the, the racetam family of chemicals that we'll probably talk about later are, um, something that was actually there. They've been mostly used for people that are developing Alzheimer's or senile dementia, things like that. Their brains aren't working so well as a way of kind of keeping their brain working as well as possible of slowing some of these, um, you know, these bad things that can happen late in life. And so anybody, even somebody that's young in their 20s or whatever, that has a brain and they want to make sure that they're keeping the, the gears oiled on it so it's going to work well into their 80s, 90s, beyond, you know, these sorts of things should be interesting to everybody, whether they're interested in the short-term effects or not. And But then I think as far as sort of like the avatar, the person that might, you know, most interested in nootropics these days, oftentimes it is somebody that's in a really mentally competitive industries, something like you know, software development or stock trading or writing or creative pursuits. If you're a bricklayer or somebody doing more of a physical job, there, there might not be that much of a benefit to feeling more um, focused on your bricklaying. There, hmm. But there might be. It's like, I, I'm not in that line of work, so I'm not sure. I, I don't want to put down any bricklayers out there. Yeah. I mean, there could be some really intelligent and quick thinking bricklayers. Yeah. Those are the guys building cathedrals. <laughs> when I look at who you are, and I think this is an important time to tell the audience, you know, who is this Jesse guy who's so passionate and has so much knowledge and does so much service to the wellness community about these cognitive enhancers? Let me read your bio quickly here, Jesse. So you're obviously the host of a top rated podcast. Smart Drug Smarts, but you're also the founder of Axon Labs. Jesse speaks regularly on podcasts and live radio, KCRW in LA, the Ben Greenfield Fitness Podcast, and at a real world conference and events such as the Dynamite Circle Conference in Bangkok, Oxford University, Biohacking Con coming up here next year in 2016, and all on topics related to optimal cognition, smart drugs, bioethics, futurism, and more. His podcast is for people who want to keep up on the latest breakthroughs in brain health and optimization and related areas of neuroscience. Let's jump into your definition of neuroscience because this is such a fascinating topic, man. You should see me right now. I'm on the edge of my seat. 
I've been spending so much time learning about nootropics. I just got my first sample from True Brain. How would you define the actual branch of neuroscience? What does that mean to you? I guess neuroscience is really anything dealing with neurons, and, and neurons are, are the, the cells that make up our brain. They also make up the nerves within our body and our central nervous system. You've got you know, nerves, as you know, running all the way up and down your spine and out to you know, all your extremities. But um, your brain is definitely the central focus of what we think of when we think of neuroscience. What is it? It's 3% of your body weight, 2 to 3% of your, uh, your body weight for most people is your brain but it uses something like 25 plus percent of the actual calories that you burn during the course of the day. So it's a very, very physiologically expensive and important organ. And you know, a lot of what's, what makes us human are these trade-offs that we've made between um, brain size and everything else. Obviously, even something as simple as fitting a baby out of you know, a woman's birth canal, <laughs> we've got these big giant brains that are a problem for humans that other, other animals haven't had to, uh, had to worry about. Our brains probably would have kept getting even bigger than they are now, except that it would have been too much of a danger to the mother. So a lot of people discover nootropics because a friend maybe took a, a caffeine pill, or they, especially in the fitness industry. There's things that are out there, you know, lots of supplementations that are CNS exciters and they upregulate different things, not like serotonin, but they definitely are a stimulant per se, uh, caffeine, nicotine, some of those things. That's how people think of nootropics, in my opinion, in the fitness industry now. So right, right. with that framework, is there anything that you've come across that is confusing to people about nootropics? Absolutely. I mean, I guess one thing that's really worth talking about is that it's not like one class of chemicals. There's actually a bunch of different chemicals, not surprisingly, that can have big effects on the brain. And it's, it's, not, um, it's not all one thing that they all have a consistent mechanism of action and that taking, if taking one is good for you, then taking another might be equally well. Different things work well for different people. Um, and and some, some people not, might not be strong responders to any of these things. Uh, the one-size-fits-all approach is definitely probably a major fallacy, hmm. as opposed to something like a pure stimulant, which you know a, a stimulant is a stimulant is a stimulant. It's like if somebody takes a, an amphetamine, um, you know, pretty much regardless of who they are, they're going to kind of get a physiological jolt from it. Um, that's going to be true. But for something that's more of a fine-grained reaction, like do I feel more creative? Do I feel more mental clarity or focus? That's going to probably vary a lot more from one person to the next. And it, depending on everything from their genetics, their epigenetics, the, their diet, um, you know, any sort of compounds that they might be short on that they're not getting from their natural diet. Uh, these things can be all over the place. And I mean, you've probably spoken with people, I know I have, who respond to um, different physical stimuli in a way that's really counterintuitive. I've, I've spoken with people for whom caffeine makes them sleepy. Mm -hmm. And most of us here, caffeine makes you sleepy. That's, you know, completely the opposite of what 97% of the world feels. And it's true, but of course, you know, 3% of the world feels differently. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, it's interesting. There's friends and family that I have that can drink coffee and then go right to bed. Yeah. I got to tell you, if I drank coffee, I'd be counting ceiling tiles till like five in the morning. It's worth individuals experimenting with these things to the extent that they feel comfortable and curious and seeing how different things affect them because it really blanket solutions for the most part don't seem to, uh, to really work that well for people. Well, thank you for clearing that up, man. Let's jump into the categories of nootropics. So you already mentioned, uh, how do you pronounce that, racetams? Yeah, the, the racetams. There's a big family of them. The, the original is piracetam. Um, there's aniracetam, oxyracetam, paramaracetam, and, and probably about you know 15 or 20 of these different things that have sort of spun off in the time since, and we're talking like 40 years here, 
since the rest attempts were originally invented. Next is is adaptogens. Now, adaptogens are things that are naturally occurring. These are plant-derived chemicals. Um, they help the body maintain or regain homeostasis. Obviously, that set point, that nice set point where our body is functioning properly. Do you use any adaptogens or can you give some examples of adaptogens you've seen move the needle for people? Ginkgo biloba is an adaptogen that a lot of people are have heard about or are familiar with. Um, there's something called Bacopa Maneri is a um, herbal compound from India that's an adaptogen. Um, Rhodiola rosea, we had an interesting episode about. That's a, um, a plant that grows, I think, in the Ural Mountains and maybe some other places. And, and also there's some um, like mushrooms, like lion's mane mushroom and, and mushroom compounds, not just or rather fungal compounds, not only plant compounds can be considered adaptogens as well. And with adaptogens, it's not like you can just go out and pick them. There's a scientific process involved with selecting the right adaptogen. How does one go about picking when we look at this category of plant-derived chemicals? How does one go about picking the right one for them? You know, normally when people are going to be taking an adaptogen compound, they will be you know going to their health store or whatever and, and buying something that's sort of already been put into a capsule and um, you know going through whatever process of, of distilling the the essence of that plant down into into a capsule format. So then it's just you know taking it off the shelf, seeing it, is this a brand that I, I trust, and you know trying it out, seeing how you respond to it if you do. There's four more categories, and Jesse, you're the expert, so correct me if I misspell or mispronounce. Sure, sure. <laughs> so the next one, the next one is is cholinergenics, choline-based smart class of smart drugs that play a role in cognition, memory, attention, and mood regulation. What are some examples of, of cholinergenics? Yeah, actually, the, the choline compounds, um, like CDP choline, is one that a lot of people take, and choline is a um, just you know, a major compound in your brain. I'm not sure it's technically considered a neurotransmitter, but it's definitely a precursor to a lot of things that your brain uses. It can be a stimulatory, upregulating, um, sort of alertness-promoting feeling to have your, your choline levels improved. Choline is also something that people talk about in conjunction with Rastam sometimes because the Rastam compounds can make your brain use choline at a faster rate and actually deplete your choline stores a bit, which for some people can cause headaches. And so people will oftentimes pair aracetam with a choline supplement to make sure that they're you know, replenishing their choline at, at a rate that the rest ham on its own might deplete things. Choline is also present in a lot of food sources like, um, you know, I just had some eggs for breakfast this morning, which are a good uh, natural food source of choline. Did you eat the yolks? I, I did indeed. Some people are scared about that. We know that there's a ton of minerals and nutrients in the yolks. So that's something really important. You guys do not throw away the yolks. Next up on the list, one of my favorites. I love serotonin personally. It makes me feel nice. <laughs> Serotonogenics, the primary neurotransmitter controls major features of the mental landscape, mood, sleep, appetite. What are serotonogenics and where can you find those? There are some serotonin promoting, um, you know, food supplements, but yeah, serotonin is a major neurotransmitter it's, it's, and it is kind of like one of the two things that makes you feel good. The other one being dopamine. It is a, a mood, a mood regulating neurotransmitter. And essentially if you're Running low on serotonin, it's hard to have a good day. If you've got a lot of circulating serotonin, it's harder to have a bad day. Um, so it's, it's definitely something that we want to make sure that our brains come fully stocked with. And the relationship between serotonin and dopamine, I know that people listening are no stranger to this relationship, but there's also dopaminergetics that promote attention, alertness by increasing the efficacy of dopamine with the brain or inhibiting the enzymes that actually break that dopamine down. This I'm really interested in. How would you how would you paint a picture of what dopaminergenics are? There's going to be a lot of crossover between um, the dopaminergenics and, and stimulants because really a lot of these stimulatory effects 
effects that we feel come from having a lot of circulating dopamine. Dopamine was characterized, pretty much wrongly characterized as being a reward neurotransmitter, something that you kind of feel that gives you like a chemical pat on the head um, when you've done something right. We did an episode on dopamine a while ago, and, and one of the things that our, our expert on that episode really tried to underscore was that, that dopamine is more of a motivator. And when, when I say motivator, there are things that you like, and then there are things that you like and you're willing to actually expend physical or, or mental effort to get. And, and dopamine is kind of what draws the difference there. It's like you might like um, the idea of uh, you know, running for office or something and say, yeah, it'd be, it'd be nice to be you know, the governor of my state or whatever. But not necessarily be motivated to get off the couch and do it. Whereas if you had dopamine, you're like, you know what, I'm willing to go through all, all the trials and tribulations and debates and travails uh, to to get to you know run for governor and you'll actually get off your duff and do something about it. So dopamine is kind of the the, the prompt, the spur that um, you know when we've got it circulating within our brain tends to get us to go after the things that we want. So and a lot of the stimulant drugs what they're really doing is causing a release, a flooding of, of dopamine into the brain that makes us feel like doing the things that might not otherwise seem like a worthwhile way to spend our energy. Last category is metabolic function smart drugs. These provide mental benefits. So we know that there's been tons of studies in PubMed and very respected journals around the effects of creatine. And not only now they're realizing that it can help the musculature system grow with the actin myosin tear, but also it can help in cognition. What are your thoughts around creatine and, and these metabolic function smart drugs, if you could paint a picture of those? One of the early and most pithy little comments that we've gotten on any of my episodes was that heart health is brain health and that the parallels between good heart health, good circulatory health, all these things and what winds up being uh, good for our cognition, and our brain are so close that really anything that you can do that's going to be benefiting your heart, cardiovascular, circulatory system is, is going to have follow on good effects on your brain. So, you know, we really are one package. The idea that, that mind and body are these two completely separate things that need to be thought of separately is, is you know, really misinformation that people should do their best to, uh, to, to rid themselves of those ideas. So, yeah, something like creatine, it can promote, you know, among other things, just new blood vessels, new capillaries and, you know, all these things. The more blood and oxygen you get to your brain, the better. Have you at any point in your training, maybe this is a great question to ask about what your day looks like. Have you ever used creatine and what does an average day look like for you right now as far as your supplementation for cognitive enhancement? I have used creatine on and off. I, have, I haven't used it probably for about a month now just since I ran out of my last jar. But I, it tends to be one of these things I'll use it for a while then not use it for a while. Um, and that's something that I do actually with a lot of my supplements is I try to take breaks from things. So I'm not, um, basically, so my body doesn't get used to it. Kind of the idea of hormesis, of keeping your body guessing a little bit, just like how in the gym, you don't necessarily want to do the same workout time and time and time again. Sure. I, I feel like that is a good um, sort of rule to live by in most aspects of our life of not letting things get redundant and repetitive and being ready for changes as they come. Uh, the, the one area where this probably is not a good idea is, you know, a person's sleep schedule. And, you know, there, there do seem to be a lot of benefits from going to bed and getting up at the same time every night. I travel a lot. And so I, 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 I fail that test. But um, for, for most other things, I think it's probably pretty beneficial. So my average day, um, 
as far as the things that I do neurologically. You know, I try to keep a real clean diet. I've been eating paleo for a couple of years now. Prior to that, I was actually a strict vegan for seven years. So I, I've, I've done a lot of things dietarily, which <laughs> seem sometimes at odds with one another, obviously, going from being a strict vegan to eating a lot of meat as a paleo person was a pretty major change. Why did you make that change? What, what came up in you physiologically or emotionally to, to switch from veganism to actually eating paleo? It was an interesting story, actually. So partway, I'd say like, you know, four years into being a vegan, I read a book called Catching Fire, How Cooking Made Us Human, which was uh, a book by an evolutionary biologist named Richard Wrangham. He's a professor at Harvard University, I'm pretty sure. And it, it made a really compelling argument how it was actually the introduction of cooked food into the human diet that kind of started a, a domino chain that turned us from homo habilis into homo erectus and on into homo sapiens that we are now. And this was, you know, about a two million year process, but that the first major domino was was cooked food and in particular quite a bit of cooked meat within that food. Basically, I, I just figured that if we've been adapting ourselves and having these major changes that took us from being you know, more of a monkey into more of a human, um, and we've been eating meat all that time, it probably didn't make a lot of sense to think that I was really optimizing by not eating meat. And um, But again, at, at the time, I didn't immediately read the book and change my diet. I was just like, this is interesting. This is something I should probably come back to later. I wasn't quite ready for the message. But um, then maybe about two years after that, I ran into some people who I thought were in really, really good physiological shape. It's like, you know, they're definitely, you know, strong athletes and things like that. And they were eating a very high fat diet, which was completely counter to what I was doing. And I was just like, you know, maybe I should go back and read that book again, take a second look. I read the book a second time and figured, you know what, I'm going to do like a three month test. I'll, I'll go and, and eat this paleo style diet, which, and again, the, the book wasn't about a diet at all. It was about evolutionary biology, but it, it got me thinking down the road of, okay, if this book is true, if what he's talking about here is, is actually accurate, then what sort of diet does this imply that I should be eating? And, and, and the answer to that question seemed to be a paleo or close type of diet. So I did a three-month thing where I figured I would just go full-bore paleo. I'd been you know full-bore vegan for six, almost seven years by that point and kind of, you know, give it the Pepsi challenge. And I, I did feel there were some upsides and some downsides, but um, it, it's something that I stuck with for, I, I guess, about three years since. I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that I'll eat paleo for the rest of my life. I think that there are some real, um, you know, apparent benefits, especially cognitively late in life that seem to um, favor veganism. But I think for a person in their, um, you know, their younger years up to middle age, it, it's hard to argue about the benefits of a, um, you know, a paleo diet. And of course, you know, the standard American diet with, you know, Cap'n Crunch for breakfast and, you know, a couple of beers for dessert is, is pretty stupid. I'm listening to you. I'm shaking my head and I, I want to just call you out and I want to say how much respect I have for your choice, because what you told me is that you made your choice based on actually trying it, based on actually doing it rather than believing a dogma or following just what a group uh, is doing. You did with your nutrition choice, just like you do with Smart Drug Smarts. You actually do the work. And I just want to commend you for that because there's so many people out there that are kind of racing around and trying to just find the new thing, find what's going to make them you know, feel better now or get better now or lose weight now. But we come back to the same point again and again on the show. When we look at behavior change, it's, it's not about a quick fix. It's not about something you can do in a day or a week, even a month. It's doing the work over the long haul. I mean, we talked about the brick layer before. It's like laying the bricks one at a time. So that's a really cool story, man. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, no, no problem. I feel like I've been lucky in that I have always enjoyed experiments. It's, it's something that it's not a lot of work like, oh, I've got to work trying this diet and 
blah, blah, blah. I mean, sometimes sticking to the diet can, can be work, but my curiosity is, has always been helpful in that I want to see what happens next. I want to see, okay, if I do this for another day or another week, you know, what, what are the results going to be? And, and so the curiosity has overweighed the, um, you know, the pain in the ass factor. Such good stuff. Well, let's bring it back to the cognitive enhancement. We asked a few minutes back, you know, what your daily schedule looks like. I know you have something really cool that you talk about on Axon Labs, which is Mitogen Nexus fish oil and coffee. That's your stack that you did on the 18th. I'm actually looking at your stack here at smartdrugsmarts.com slash jessies dash stack. Tell us about that, man. What's your stack like every day? Yeah, well, you know, it, it's gotten quite a bit easier actually since um, we introduced a couple of supplements. Uh, I guess about four months ago now, because it combined a bunch of things, and and basically, I've got a, a smaller, easier to travel with medicine cabinet than I did. We've got one cognitive stack called Nexus, and another stack which is aimed at mitochondrial health um, called Mitogen, and you know, th- then some things I've just been taking, you know, every day for for you know, ever since whenever. Uh, a lot of omega three fish oils, vitamin D three are another one. But um, but yeah, Nexus and Mitogen. I'll to, to sort of go through those real quick. I'm sure that your listeners are familiar with mitochondria. They are the um sort of the intracellular or intracellular rather powerhouses for our cell. They make something called adenine triphosphate, which is kind of the um you know the lingua franca of cellular energy. And so mitogen is a, is a compound or a combination of compounds that has a bunch of mitochondrial precursors, the things that mitochondria need in order to do their job and put out ATP. Um, it's also got one of the compounds is something called uh, BioPQQ. Uh, PQQ is something that's been found to actually promote the creation of new mitochondria. So um, it, it sort of causes your body to assemble more of these little intracellular power plants. And so you've got mitochondria in every cell in your body. You know, they're, they're very important organelles. Without them, you'd, you know, you'd die instantly. But um, as far as cognition, one of the things that's also worth noting is, you know, like I mentioned earlier, the brain is this very energy-intensive organ. It uses you know, 25% of, of your overall energy, um, you know, like when you're talking about your basal me- metabolic rate, the, like how much uh, calories you burn when you're, you know, lying in bed, not doing anything, your brain's like a huge proportion of that. It's just, it's always humming, it's always doing stuff. So um, y- y- the level of mitochondria within your, your brain cells, your nerve cells is higher than most because they're these big energy consumers. So um, yeah, I, again, I really look at the mitochondrial health and the neurological health is being very closely interconnected. Then the other one, Nexus, um, you know, I mentioned the racetam chemicals. My favorite of the racetams that I've had experience with is something called aniracetam, which is we sort of made that the, um, like the central compound of the Nexus stack. For me, I found it to be a creativity promoting, um, you know, experience that I feel when I'm on it. One of the things that aniracetam has been shown to do in tests is that it sort of increases your working memory, the amount of ideas that you can hold in your head at one time. And, and I think the reason that like I personally have interpreted this as sort of an uptick in my creativity is because if I can hold more ideas in my head at once, I can kind of put those ideas up next to one another, you know, see if there's interesting relationships or, or you know, ideas that synthesize with those things coming together. And um, it just sort of gives you more, uh, more ideas that you can cross multiply against one another. So yeah, with uh, with Nexus, we've got aniracetam as sort of the star compound in that. We've got something called CDP choline. I mentioned how it's wise to oftentimes put a choline group along with aracetam to make sure that people don't get depleted of their choline. Um, there's something called pycnogenol. Pycnogenol is one of the adaptogen chemicals. It actually comes from 
I, I think it's a variety of pine tree that lives in like the south of France. It sounds very glamorous, hmm. but um, pycnogenol has been found to have a whole lot of physiological and um, and cognitive benefits. And then finally, something called phosphatidylserine, which is probably the hardest to pronounce compound that I've ever done an episode on. But I've, I've finally memorized how to say it right. And that's something that it naturally occurs within your, your brain and your body. But there's been a lot of benefits shown to sort of topping off your supply and making sure that you're uh, you know, it's better to be overstocked than understocked when it comes to phosphatidylserine. That is a hard one. That's like 15 syllables. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know why they do that. That almost things. requires like cognitive enhancers just to have that vocabulary come out of your mouth. Exactly. Well, what are one or two items that the audience can use in the next 24 hours to improve their brain health and life performance? We've dove into a lot of the different categories of nootropics, but if somebody had a day and they wanted to begin improving their brain health and performance, what, what kind of supplementation should they be looking at? It kind of depends on your goal. Is your goal to have enhanced mood? Is your goal that you just need more hours and you want to stay awake is your goal that you want deeper focus um you know for for like focus promoting drugs a lot of people a lot of people really respond well to the racetams and they feel like that like i said for me and racetam i think of more of as a creativity enhancer for some people it's more of a focus enhancer the things that you'll hear people talking about like you know trading you know adderalls or ritalins these um you know compounds that get traded around on, on college campuses for use as study drugs um, yeah, those those are generally prescription only drugs and doing that is illegal. So, you know, put the major asterisk on that. But I know that that's something that a lot of people are interested in. Those are um, almost always going to be focus enhancers for people. But, um, you know, there, there can be some physiological downsides, too. And if you're not on the um, ADHD spectrum, those can can probably are not very good ideas. Um, but for, for things that people can do, um, it's a hard question to answer with a, a broad spectrum because it really depends on like what part of your brain you're trying to optimize. If you want to get into deep focus versus you want to you know chill out and relax and you you can't make your mind stop racing, you know I'm going to recommend two very different things. What would you recommend for someone like myself who isn't even keel? You know highs, lows, things like that. Someone who's looking for more focus specifically. Um, yeah, for for like deep focus, it's hard to argue against something like modafinil. Armadafinil are things that that people talk about a lot in the nootropics world, and and they tend to be uh, like sort of good chemical blinders. They're also um, like wakefulness promoting agents. If you're going to take modafinil, you probably want to take it kind of first thing in the morning so it doesn't mess up with your sleep by the time you're ready to go to bed at night because these things can have very long half-lives within your body. Um, it takes something like 15 hours for 100 milligrams of modafinil to drop within your bloodstream down to 50 milligrams of modafinil. Now, wait a minute, though. Is, isn't modafinil what Asprey talks about and we can't even get it here in the United States? Uh, Asprey does talk about it and you certainly can get it in the United States. Um, you know, you can get any of these things. It's a question of what sort of legal lines you feel comfortable with. I mean, if, if you want modafinil, you're, the, the way that you should do it is to go to your doctor and see if you can get your doctor to prescribe you modafinil. Um, but, but of course, many people skirt these issues just by finding a place to buy it online from an overseas um, you know, seller that will will sell it into the states for you. And you know they're breaking the law a little, you're breaking the law a little, but it seems to be one of these generally unenforced areas. Um, and, and that's true with a lot of these things. Why do you think the law exists in the first place when we look at modafinil? From what I've heard, the, the reason that the law exists is because despite the fact that modafinil is, is you know, shown to be you know, really safe for people in uh, you know, the vast majority of cases, there's a small number of allergic reactions, but no, no more to modafinil than there are to something like, um, you know, aspirin. 
but they don't really have a good understanding of why it works. They know they know that it works, that it does tend to promote wakefulness and and attention, but there's not clear agreement as to why it works. And I, I guess the thinking is, hey, if we don't know why this stuff is working, let's keep it under the control of a doctor rather than, you know, selling it over, you know, the the corner of a 7-Eleven store. I'm really curious if you could be willing to share your experience of modafinil. What was that like for you? I mean, this is a perfect opportunity because I've always wanted to talk to someone about this and here we are talking about it. What was your experience with that? And do you still actually integrate it into your life now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll use modafinil probably about two days a week on the average week. And it, it kind of depends. I mean, it's something that as I've as I've become aware of some of the other compounds that are available, I've used it less. But if I want to have sort of a deep focus day and I know that I want to be working on one particular thing for you know a, a big block of hours, then I find something like modafinil to, or, or its chemical cousin, armodafinil, can be really handy for that. If I want to be a little bit more social and creative or you know, switching between tasks, then I tend to um, sort of default to the anorastam or now to the, the Nexus compound. But um, yeah, I mean, people people who have taken, like I've never taken Adderall. So let me, this, what I'm about to say is hearsay. But people that have taken Adderall say that um, modafinil is like the baby brother of Adderall. It's not going to give you quite that insane level of, of ultra deep focus where you want to you know, write your whole term paper in, in a 12 hour sprint starting at midnight, <laughs> but it's, um, it, it kind of leans you in that same direction. Um, a lot of people have described, and I would tend to agree with this, um, about modafinil that it's a lot like having several strong cups of coffee. If you could do that without the jitters, it, it certainly will keep you awake. And, and I guess I should, I should even put a little pin on that. It's not necessarily that it will keep you awake because a person can sleep on modafinil. It's just it, what I've found is that if I go to sleep when I've got modafinil in my system, instead of sleeping a whole night, I'll like wake up after two hours and not, not be able to fall back to sleep after that. So it's like I can nap on it. I just can't take like a, you know, a, a big sustained full night's sleep. This is fascinating, man. So as far as side effects though, I mean, do you feel like you personally have had any, there's so much misinformation out there, obviously by even the questions I'm asking you, right? I, I read the conventional wisdom on modafinil. I've heard it on, on Asprey's show and I've read articles, but beyond just what's out there, I mean, have you seen in your research or in using it in your own life, modafinil, is there any side effects at all? The worst, scariest side effect is that some people that like actually can cause like a, a skin like eruption, like, um, you know, major hives and rash and stuff like that. And I've spoken with people that has happened with, and I guess about 1% of the population does have like a major skin reaction from modafinil. So, so that would be kind of like, you know, the worst case scenario. I've never experienced that, but I have talked with a couple of people who have, who have had that experience. Um, for me, the, the danger with it is just the sleep crash afterwards. Like I've had times when I've, I've really wanted to get something done. I've been behind on a deadline or whatever, and I've used it two or three days in a row and everything seems fine at the time. But of course, what you, what you kind of don't realize is that you're not as sleepy as you would be. So you're kind of cutting back on your sleep, even if that's not the goal, even if um, you didn't realize you're doing it. And then your first day when you're not taking it, all of a sudden, like the sleep piper comes and wants to be paid. And you can have like a real, like just lethargic kind of bounce back day where you don't feel really mentally turned on. Oh, wow. I haven't drank alcohol in like over 10 years. I just stopped drinking enough for next. I was getting in bar fights or anything, but just kind of grew up out of it and stopped doing it for a long time ago. But the, um, the, the, the bounce 
back day after having done modafinil for three days in a row, the couple of times that I've done it has felt similar to a hangover, not as far as like you're throwing up, but just as far as like, you never really feel like the lights are all the way on. It's like that movie Limitless where essentially that little clear pill that he took, was that kind of, were were they positioning that movie as the modafinil? No, almost exactly the opposite. They were positioning that movie as an awesome movie. And then the people that were selling modafinil were like, modafinil is the limitless pill because that allows them to sell a lot more modafinil. But um, (laughs) as anybody that's taken modafinil and watched Limitless will tell you, you know, modafinil is not, you know, NZT 17 or whatever they called the pill in the movie. You know, that pill in the movie does not exist. And and I don't think that we're ever going to be able to find one single compound that makes your brain do everything better at once, because that's the thing with our brains. It's not like it's, it's not a tool to do one thing. Our brain is like, in a sense, it's, it's analogous to a computer and that computers are like this machine that can do anything that you give it the software instruction set to do. It's it's not like a single purpose um, machine. It's it's this universal thing. And, and our brains, you know, sometimes they should be sleeping. Sometimes they should be chilled out. Sometimes they should be having, you know, romantic relationships. Sometimes they should be in deep focus and not want to talk with other people. And so, you know, you can't optimize for everything at once. You kind of need to, um, you know, pick your battles. And, and so for me, that's been one of the interesting things learning about neurotics and cognitive enhancers is just trying to learn what compounds I respond to that are going to sort of lean my brain in a certain direction. And then if I know what I want to accomplish during the course of a day, I can sort of pick the right compound from my medicine cabinet to make me better at that particular behavior. So you're not really depending on these cognitive enhancers. These are things that are just making your brain run at its optimized version, correct? I mean, you're not, you're not like positioning your entire life around stacking supplements in your backpack and carrying them with you. These are things that you're doing to supplement your life, your quality of life and the way that you live. Yeah. I mean, there are some things like, you know, making sure that you have enough, you know, omega-3 fatty acids in your diet. Um, you know, even if that means supplementing, it's like a good long-term move for long-term cognitive health to make sure that my brain is as good in 20 years as it, as it is right now. But, you know, I'm never going to know from one day to the next, like if, if you, um you know, hit me over the head. So I forgot this morning and said, Hey, Jesse, can you tell from the way you feel right now, whether you ate your fish oil capsules? I wouldn't be able to tell you. Yes. It's like, it's not something that has a clear, um, you know, short-term acute feeling to it. But, but I still know from the science and, and the research that I've done that it's a good idea. There are other things like a racetam, like a modafinil, um, or, or even like a caffeine that does have this short-term acute feeling that you get from it. And, and sometimes that feeling can be, um, you know, something that you want to, like you say, sort of, you know, build your day around, know that, okay, because of what I'm doing today, having this little, you know, spike in this direction is going to be helpful for me. If at the end of the day, the report card is, I feel is most powerful is the way we feel and the way we perform. So when I'm going about my life and making choices for my behavior change, something I struggled with for a long time, Jesse was making the right food choices. And it was because there was an emotional context to that. So we know that the things like magnesium and and things like tyrosine and, and carnitine and all these things that were in our diet before, they're not there anymore. They're deficient in this kind of sad modern diet. We know the benefits of things like, you know, magnesium can help us sleep and whatnot. But when I look at food choices and behavior change, are there just kind of like the big three, I guess we could say. And I say three because of the law of threes and three is easy to remember. (laughs) Are are there three just specific things that people can take away from this interview when they look at, hey, you know what? I might not want to dive into like 10 different subs and things like that, but I'm interested in taking on three different cognitive enhancements that I can basically have to fuel my life so that I perform better? What would those be? Uh, That's a great question. 
I, w- I would say probably number one for most people is going to be um, omega-3 fatty acids. So like a fish oil supplementation or krill oil supplementation, just because most of our diets are too heavily balanced in favor of the omega-6s. And omega-3s are just a a fundamental physical building block of your brain. To come back to the brick analogy, if your brain was built out of bricks, omega-3s would make up a lot of those bricks. So just making sure that you have those handy in your diet is a good thing. Um, We also talked about creatine. Creatine, I feel like, is a a very safe, well-understood, physiologically beneficial, and and also because of the the way that it builds blood vessels and, and capillaries and things like that, a metabolically and cognitively beneficial official compound too that's not going to be scary to a lot of people. And then finally, I think the racetams would be the third group of compounds that I would recommend looking at. They're shown to have long-term neuroprotective effects. So you know, good as you're getting older and sort of laying the foundation for having a healthy later life. And then depending on the racetam that you pick, um, you can probably find one that will have sort of a, a short-term feeling of additional mental clarity, verbal facility, things like that for you. So I, I would say going from the um, probably the least controversial to the most controversial, not that racetams are particularly controversial, I, I would say that um, yeah, fish oil, creatine, and, and a racetam would be my three recommendations. And of course, if somebody wants to try a racetam and they want to try Nexus, I would not I would not dissuade them from that. We'll make sure to link all the different things for the Mitogen, Nexus, and Smart Drug Smarts in the show notes. Jesse, last section of the show before we let you go, where I discover kind of the ins and outs of who you are. And it's five questions in five minutes. Are you open to that? Uh, I certainly am. We'll see what we dig out. First question is, when you start your day, what is the very first thing that you do to ensure that your day is best? You know, I, I've got a pretty elaborate, um, I use a document called Workflowy, an online thing called Workflowy that kind of has a, um, a set of nested lists of, of things that I want to accomplish. And I have probably about a 90 minute um, set of things that I go through in the morning to kind of, you know, get the day off to a good start. It, it's a pretty elaborate morning ritual. Second question from Facebook, Steve asks, nootropic effect of magnesium, how to get it into my brain? Um, gosh, there's a lot. There's magnesium compounds that you can take dietarily. I know that there are some magnesium um, like skin products that you actually like, you know, put on like a spray or a salve. So I, there's, there's a bunch of different ones. And honestly, I'm not sure if one is preferential to the other as far as like what's most absorptive or bioavailable. I would like to do a magnesium episode sometime soon. I haven't done one yet, so I, I can't speak with great authority, but I do know that there's a lot of different options there. What is the number one supplementation that's impacted your life and what impact did it make? Number one supplement that's had an impact for me has been modafinil simply because that was the first nootropic that I ever heard about. And it kind of started me down this whole path of looking into what else is out there. So for for greatest effect, I'd say it's always going to be the first one. Is there anything today that we talked about that possibly I didn't ask you or that we didn't dive into enough that you feel as an expert in this field is important to mention about yourself or your mission. We did talk about it a little, but I guess I would just really like to underscore the individual variability that people tend to have and that there isn't one nootropic that's going to be great for everybody that's in your listening audience. It's it's more that all of these things may have effects. And if somebody's really curious about you know, optimizing their cognitive performance, it probably does make sense to buy a handful of things and do a little bit of, um, you know, personal testing, like maybe, you know, buy five things and try them out for over the course of five weeks, chart what days you're doing what things and see how you feel and and try to be a little bit more deliberate and scientific about um, seeing what's going to have effects for you rather than taking 
whole bunch of stuff at once and you, you might feel something, but you won't know what's doing it. Jesse, last question. I am so stoked to hear your answer on this one, especially with your background. I asked this at the end of every show and I'm curious what wellness means to you. What's your personal definition of wellness? My personal definition of wellness is I, I think being able to pursue my own whims as they come up, to feel like there's nothing stopping me either physically or mood wise or um, you know my ability to concentrate. If something seems like it might be interesting, I want to be able to chase after it and do it and, and not have any impediments to that. Jesse Lawler, thank you so much for coming on the show. Jesse's podcast is on iTunes at Smart Drug Smarts and online at smartdrugsmarts.com. Jesse, did you have any parting words of wisdom before we say goodbye? Uh, just thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure talking. And, uh, and yeah, I hope everybody is uh, has their curiosity peaked at some of these things the way that I do. Thank you so much for coming on, man. What a valuable show. Thanks so much. Thank you, man. Really appreciate it. That is a wrap for episode 36. Thanks for sticking around to the end of the show. And as always, we have treats. You know I like to give extra and today's show is absolutely no different. Be sure to stick around right after this message where Jesse and I discuss holotropic breathing as a six minute bonus content piece at the very end of this quick message. Jesse was generous enough to give our audience 30 days of discounts at 10% off. Go ahead and check out the show notes from today at wellnessforce.com smart and use code WELLFX, W-E-L-L-F-X for 10% off your order over at Smart Drug Smarts. Now, I know today's show was very science heavy. There was a lot of large words, but essentially we're looking for tools that can make us show up better and more powerfully in our lives. And I feel that nootropics and cognitive enhancers are definitely something that can do just that for us. And after you've listened to the bonus content with Jesse and I, you get to go and have an amazing day in your first week of 2016 with all the tools and resources and discounts from Jesse and every single guest that's been on the show. And until I see you again real soon, I'm wishing you love and wellness. Jesse, I listened to one of your episodes on holotropic breathing and actually my girlfriend had told me about it. And we went and did a full day session in Venice, California at a really nice home by the water. And we went through this eight hour process where I laid for three hours, she laid for three hours, and we experienced some of the most profound energetic and emotional changes through basically a heavy breathing or, or kind of like a holotropic experience, a holotropic breathing experience. And it was done by the work of Stan Groff. Now, you also recently just came out with an episode around this. Can you describe what fascinated you in the beginning with holotropic breathing and your experience? Well, you know, I, I'd heard the term holotropic breathing, but I never really knew what it was. And But because I knew it had something to do with the brain, I figured, you know, heck, since I don't know what it is and I'm curious about it and it's brain related, that sounds like the meat for an episode. And and so, yeah, we did an episode to talk with a doctor who does it. He's up in the Bay Area. His name is uh, Dr. James Ironman. And so did one episode about it, sort of learning what the gist of it is. And then, of course, you tried it on my own. I, I didn't go and do it in a, in a formalized setting, but did a follow-up episode um, just a couple of weeks ago about my experiences and then a few other listeners who reached out and said, hey, in the wake of the episode, I either went to a session or tried it myself. And so we kind of um, had, had a follow-up episode just on, on some people's individual experiences. Um, I have not yet done it in a formal setting. I think that would be interesting too. Um, I, I kind of felt like I wanted to try it myself without having any um, to, to, to the largest extent possible without having anybody else's sort of preconceptions put on me about, 
you know, doing things in a group and th- things like that. You know, I, I just kind of wanted to, uh, to get the Jesse Lawler version of the experience before I did it yeah. um, in, in somebody else's context. Definitely. And so in, in a way it's, it's kind of like, you know, riding with the bumpy training wheels down a brick road rather than on a, on a smooth, uh, you know, super highway or something like that. But yeah, I, w- I was just amazed all I, I should have known, but I was nevertheless really taken aback by just, you know, 10 or 15 minutes of breathing in this certain way could produce a really profoundly different mental state. And I didn't have full body hallucinations or, you know, turn into a Greek god or anything like that. But I could tell that something really, really different was going on in my thinking. My um, sense of time perception was very altered. Uh, you know, I, I was definitely pretty, pretty messed up by it when I, when I came out of it and tried to, you know, turn on my, my computer mouse and, um, get, get the microphone recording and all that stuff. So I could quickly like jump on the computer and, and give my thoughts. It was like, Whoa, my, my arms aren't working right. But, um, you know, it, it quickly, quickly bounced back from that. And yeah, I thought it was a, was, it was a pretty worthwhile thing to try. After listening to your episode with, with Dr. James Ironman, uh, we had that experience and I'll share with you that it was it, dramatically profound for me. I had visions from when I was eight years old. My mom was getting carried on a stretcher. It was, it was almost to the effect of, and I've never done any kind of ayahuasca or anything, but it almost felt as if that was the control or the context that I was in. And it, and it sparked inside of me an emotional release. I mean, I was crying for like I want to say like 45 minutes, just, just major stuff was coming out. And I thought, how is this possible that I'm not taking anything orally? I'm not taking anything uh, epidermically. I'm just breathing. <laughs> how crazy yeah. is this that I'm going yeah. through such an emotional release and such a altered state of being. And even on your show, you had talked about people that are 14 and 15 that have, or the doctor had talked about people that are 14, 15 that have no experience with the chakras or any kind of meditation. They don't know anything about other senses, sixth senses, things like that. Yet these 14 and 15 year olds were having just descriptive episodes where they were able to say, we're all connected. We are one. Talk a little bit about that with your episode. What did you get from the episode with Dr. James Ironman? Again, really a, a very impressed sense that you know we are all you know neurochemistry. <laughs> all of our experience is just mediated by this you know three pounds inside of our skull. And I, I guess maybe not surprisingly, altering the amount of oxygen, which which as far as anybody knows is really what we're doing. I mean that's that's the only thing overtly that's coming in at a different rate than it normally would be can have profoundly different experiences on on our perceptual reality. And um yeah, like like some of these other things, holotropic breathwork is not really well understood as far as what's going on physiologically. There are some different theories about it, and uh, Dr. Ironman talked about it in the episode. But there's there's not a um, a clear consensus as to what's going on. Um, somebody said in one of the comments on the website, "Well, how is this different than hyperventilating?" And I, I think the answer is it really probably isn't. It's kind of a fancy name for hyperventilation, but nevertheless, the um the differences in what that can cause versus your everyday waking reality, like you said, are very, very profound. I guess the context that I could say is that it's the intention and the setting and whatever is meant to happen based on how people approach it. If you're just doing it just for the heck of it, then I don't know if you'd get a profound result. But if you're going into it with the intention of healing or with the intention of being open to whatever the process is going to give you, I think it can be a different result. And I think that's what Dr. Ironman touched on with people that are doing it for healing. And I'm curious if in the future you're going to look at doing this for yourself in a healing capacity or is 
is it more of just an experimentation thing for you? Originally, it was an experimentation just to kind of see what it would work. But but you're right. It kind of like feels like you are more open to a, a really different sensibility, different experience, and, and something similar to um getting put into a hypnotic state. Like you're put into a hypnotic state, your brain is doing something physiologically different, and as a result of that, you are more you know, suggestible or more open to, you know, thinking about things from new perspectives. And so then what, what you decide to do in that state, I think could have profound effects versus, um, cause you don't have your normal mental guards up that you do when you're fully awake, fully present, sort of having an everyday type, uh, you know, cognitive experience. So I, I think that there probably really are benefits to be drawn if you were going into it, um, you know, trying to accomplish something with like a, you know, a, a goal oriented, um, you know, I, I want to address this issue for my past or whatever it might be. That That's not the context that I did it in, but I could see how that would certainly be valuable. And that's why, um, you know, people like uh, Dr. Ironman use it for that for that reason. Hmm. Well, thanks so much, man. This is a little added bonus at the end of the episode. I'll make sure to link your episode with Dr. Ironman in the show notes. And I want to thank you again for your contribution. I mean, you've sparked not only an interest in me, but a genuine desire to get my brain firing better. So my synapses are just making love to each other. So thank you for that, for inspiring me. Hey, thank you so much, Josh. I really appreciate it.